0: Welcome to the latest edition of Chasing Success. I'm Elisa Gums, the Executive Managing Editor of Black Enterprise, and I'm so excited to be able to bring you some insight from an executive who's been incredibly successful in banking and technology, and that's Talka Rutherford, the Managing Director of Chase Consumer and Community Banking. Let me tell you about her first, because she's so impressive. Talka Rutherford, is a product owner in digital self-service at Chase. She is responsible for creating an optimal, consistent digital experience that enables millions of Chase customers to complete their financial transactions across multiple channels. Customers include consumers, private clients, small and mid-sized businesses, and merchant services. Prior to this role, Taka was the head of business engineering, responsible for product execution, business engagement and centers of excellence to transform Chase toward a product aligned organization. Taka has also served as the chief development officer for consumer, business banking and auto finance technology managing large scale transformations to modernize software development for global technology teams. And as the global head of general ledger technology and chief technology officer for corporate and investment banks finance technology, leading development teams through application delivery initiatives. She's been with JPMorgan Chase for 23 years, and she's here with us today to share about her career experiences and successes in technology. Taka, thank you so much for joining us on the Chasing Success podcast. Thank you, Elisa, for having me. I'm very excited about today. You've led a successful career in technology over more than 20 years now. But when we look at the reality of the tech space, women of color hold only 11% of the jobs in computing and mathematics roles. And Black women hold only 3% of that total. Looking back over your career path, how are you able to get comfortable working in a space where there's very little representation for women or Black women?
1: Great question. And, you know, when I look back on my career, I think about those moments when I was the only in the room. And certainly when I started out uh, at JP Morgan, all those years ago, (laughs) I was um, one of 23 uh, technologists in that training program. We were in an accelerated track, which was really exciting because I had majored in engineering. I had a lot of the foundational understanding of what, we would need to do from a technology standpoint but of course we needed to understand how that worked in the context of wall street in the context of banking and so uh, i started my career as a database administrator a database developer i love data uh, and back then that's when we felt like a terabyte was a lot of data <laughs> and certainly now that's on people's phones it seems like uh, but we you know really focused on for me personally the value I could add to a team. And at the time, a lot of my colleagues, and I say I was one of 23, I was the only woman in the group and there were 22 other men and um, the training track. And we, but what I really found in that moment was an opportunity to add value. And I loved being sort of that, what they call the back-end developer or the, the developer that would work on managing the data and making sure it was available for the programs that we were building. And so then I really became an asset to the team because mostly the, um, the fellows in the group wanted to do sort of the front end development, the user experience, what uh, our customers would uh, touch and see in the applications. And so I was comfortable with that at the time. And I really, really wanted to make sure they understood the value I could bring to the team. And that's how I have over the course of time really thought about my um, opportunities. It's like, where can I add value and how can I build those relationships amongst my team members in order to, to do so and deliver value for the firm?
0: When you say you were one of the only, you're, you're not exaggerating one out of 23, yeah. but I love the way that you focused on what it was that you could bring to it as opposed to you know, what, what was going on around you. Uh, So the events of this year have really kickstarted a more open um, national dialogue on race. And we're seeing a renewed focus throughout corporate America on diversity inclusion with uh, so many companies bringing unprecedented energy to recruiting, retaining, and advancing Black talent. Um, as companies go about these efforts, why is it critical that they also focus on the diversity of their own leadership? Oh, yeah. Um, so
1: for me, what, one of the great things when I started my career is I actually was hired from that training program by a Black leader, a senior Black leader at the time who saw in me the potential and invested in me. And uh, I remember sitting in the room sometimes admiring his knowledge and his ability to break down problems and solve for what we needed to deliver from a technology perspective, how we think about innovation. And um, he was not a whole lot older than me, which was also like impressive in the context of, wow, this is actually possible to um, be like a vice president on Wall Street and still be young, (laughs) Uh, relatively speaking. And also, you know, um, be a person of color, a black person. And so for me, that was hugely inspiring to start. And I know everyone does not get that privilege to start their career. And so I did not take that for granted. And while I had those moments where I would be the only, having someone that was that I could look up to, that had paved ways, pathways and um, really provide insight and perspective on what it takes to be successful really helps ground me in how to add value. One of the things, whenever I do speak to people who are starting out in their career, they'll ask me questions like, what, what do you wish you knew then that you know now, as an example? I'm pretty sure you've heard that question too, Elisa, during yeah. your, your time. And I often say, you know, it's really about how, when you first start your career you're really about thinking how can I like do my like strive for excellence add value make an impact and like demonstrate what I know and um, and often what we find is we're heads down especially as technologists we're heads down trying to do the work and what we don't realize is that we have to also invest in building relationships not just within our own teams or within our own organizations but also within the company or the firm that you're a part of. And so I always encourage our people starting out in their career, but certainly this needs to happen throughout your career. But early on, we have like a tendency to want to make the impact, not realizing that the relationships and the network is really also a big part of your success. And so that is definitely something I've learned over the course of my career.
0: So, it, it you know, with companies placing this emphasis on recruiting black talent, if you recruit talent into organizations that don't have these kinds of resources in terms of the existing leadership that you just mentioned, then you have very different outcomes when it comes to retaining that talent or advancing them, right? Yes, absolutely.
1: And you know what I what I've often found, and certainly in my career, as it relates to diversity, diversity and inclusion, belonging. I mean, we see that evolution as well, that um, the focus, you know, initially is around attracting the talent and making sure that we find the right people for the right roles and and, um, your point on retention becomes then the next thing to focus on, making sure that we develop our talent and retain them and um, provide career opportunities, mobility, the ability, you know, promotions, of course. And often what we find, and especially in technology where it is male dominated, it's like, How do we as women or as females in this situation um, strive? And what does success look like in what we bring to the table and um, our perspectives? And so that has just been, to me, vitally important as it relates to uh, success in
0: um, technology. So you've just told us that you had the good fortune at the start of your career to have a great manager um, who happens to be Black. Uh, but what role did that play in setting the foundation for your career? So, wow. I mean, how much time do you have? <laughs>
1: Seriously, because um, over the course of my career, that individual served as a mentor to me, an advisor, a sponsor. In many ways, we see those terms thrown around in the context of um, different situations. And when you know, when when I've been faced with career choices um, you know having someone that knows you and their your capabilities that sees things in you that you may not see in yourself certainly early on in your career I know as for me in particular what well, we've heard the notion of imposter syndrome and how that affects women and certainly women in technology I know that I've been through that I continue to go through it there are moments when I wonder how did I end up here <laughs> and I know that it is it's a function of my excellence and the impact and the value I bring. But we also need those reassurances. We need to know, we need the feedback. We need to know when things are not um, as people expect. We need to know expectations. And often what I find is people, we may not know that going in, either into a role or into an opportunity. And so it's vitally important. I I know um, I'll ask about objectives I need to set or how Um, We need to develop our strategies. What goals are we, uh, and outcomes are we striving for? All of those are really important things to level set on and understand. And now that we're at the end of the year, it's the point of reflection, but we're also getting ready for the next year. And so how we reflect, how we position ourselves for growing through those moments and establishing what we're going to achieve for next year or, as we, you know, progress in our careers is also like really, really important time to invest in yourself.
0: I so appreciate how candid you're being, you know, acknowledging things like imposter syndrome and that you still go through them, even as uh, an executive who's been in her career for more than 20 years and who's achieved such high levels. We often don't hear people, you know, be open about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have, um, Changed roles this year. And anytime you have these life changes that you wonder, at least i so I'll speak for myself here, right? It's like, how, what am I ready? Um, and is it, is, is the anxiety I'm feeling a function of the opportunity to learn? Is this a moment of stretching myself beyond my comfort zone? often what I found, I never forget, this was years ago, maybe, maybe about 10 years ago, but it, it was a while back. And I remember at the time I actually had the privilege of having an executive coach who helped me um, be reflective of my impact, my track record and um, patterns over time that I had in roles. And one of the things I remember her saying to me was, you know, you tend to work yourself out of jobs, like you, you make your impact. And then it becomes like who you pass the baton to. And so for me, and I, of course, I didn't at the time realize that that's how I operated. But what I've also found is that when I look back in moments of when I'm going to take that next leap, it's like, have I really mastered this subject and i know sometimes mastery can come across as like arrogant but it's not it's more about if i almost like can predict or know the next step that we may need to take with some degree of certainty then maybe it's time for someone with some fresh ideas or new perspectives to to lead the group into um the next the next journey and um and also it's a reflection a reflection of me and my own growth. It's like this opportunity doesn't present the growth moments that I may need to move to the next level. And that is um, incredibly um, insightful that she shared with me. And what I realized then is in those moments when I start to think about, hey, is this the time to move on? Um, then am I at this juncture, am I realizing this moment to uh, now think about the next thing. And often, you know, it's really interesting, people will say, do, you know, um, I'll ask, especially earlier on in the career, did you know you wanted to be X or Y, you know? And I said, hey, if someone asked me if I was gonna be a product owner just last year, I would have said, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, you know, it's just, and I, so I really opened myself up to where my value and impact can be the greatest At this moment, like, what could that be? How do I look to maximize that? And what are the dimensions that help me? And so I use tools that uh, technologists use, like mind maps. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they're visual ways to demonstrate ideas and thoughts and iterations of how things are interconnected and what helps you to establish those connections to know um, what you would need to know to move forward. And so those are like a little bit of insights into my thinking about next opportunities when I start to wrestle with where I am in my career and then how I go about the decisions going forward as it relates to that.
0: As as we talk about developing um, and recruiting talent, we know that J.P. Morgan Chase uh, is being very intentional about recruiting from historically Black colleges and universities with an ambitious goal of hiring 4,000 by 2024. Um, How did you help shape uh, the outreach to HBCUs and why is it so critical for the firm to deliver on those targets for hiring Black talent?
1: Oh, wow. So this is definitely a spot near and dear to my heart. I did not attend an HBCU. I actually graduated from Rutgers University and uh, from the College of Engineering. Uh, however, I um, have an affinity for HBCUs. Both of my parents are graduates of Virginia State, the Virginia State University. <laughs> and, um, and, and I uh, actually had intended to attend Spelman um, and, but I got a full scholarship to Rutgers University And I was excited then to pursue engineering. And so that led me down the path. So there's always been a soft spot in my heart for HBCUs for a large variety of reasons. And one of the, early on, I would say in my career is I got involved in things like recruiting for the firm and supporting um, our recruiting teams on campuses. One of the things I realized is that while for banking, we may recruit at certain schools. We, and when it comes to technology, we may want to think about other HBCUs that weren't traditionally in our top tier. And so we, I spent time I, at the time I was, um, it, I was privileged to be a part to co lead the the Black pillar for the Global Tech Diversity Council, and one of the, which is now called like the Black community. I mean, we all evolve, right? So. <laughs> um, but at the time we wanted to influence the schools that we attended so that we could be more targeted for technology, um, for black technologists, quite honestly. And so uh, we expanded our pool to schools like North Carolina A&T and Morgan State. And that was really, really exciting to work with those schools on um, opportunities for recruiting and talent being very intentional. What one like one example is um, establishing like a hackathon and making sure that we have ways to build relationships with talent at on the campus, not just during recruiting season. So figuring out ways to understand how talent on campus is um, Is growing as they progress through their technical um, curriculums, what we get to learn about them and then having opportunities for them to pursue internships here at the firm during the summer. And uh, that then becomes hopefully a glide path into a full-time opportunity. And so that has been um, something like I personally worked on, but for me, it's really about how do we create pathways? One, um, and you see me using the word pathways intentionally there, Uh, one one exciting thing that actually I was a benefactor of through um, Advancing Black Leaders was the opportunity to be um, recognized by the firm at the Women of Color STEM Conference as a rising star. And I remember at the time it was, you know, we were establishing relationship with the conference and um, what I got to know is being involved with global tech diversity and inclusion was that, you know, people also want to be recognized uh, by the firm, not just through promotions internally, but also I know it felt awesome to be recognized by the firm outside of the firm. <laughs> and so, um, and I'm bringing this back to HBCUs in a moment because that, then, that relationship then with women in color STEM then connected us to BEA, which is the Black Engineer of the Year Award conference held in typically in Washington, D.C. each year. And that is heavily connected into HBCUs And um, that's exciting to see. And there we've rewarded talent over the years with modern day technology leader awards. And it's just great to see uh, my comrades get rewarded outside the firm and acknowledged for the impact they make inside the firm. And, And it really goes a long way. And so I feel like I've been instrumental in helping to shape that, not just as a recipient, but also to help create pathways for others to
0: be recognized. And the second part of that is, is why is it so critical that you know, the firm actually delivers on that ambitious goal when it comes to hiring HBCU students? Absolutely, right, because now, if part of what I found over, over the
1: course of my career too is that when we show up at schools as a bank, often they don't realize that we are also a technology organizations. We have 50,000 technologists in the firm globally. Wow. And you know, we spend about 10 billion, 11 billion um, annually. It's a significant number. And um, I don't know where people think we get the talent to build our platforms like Chase.com and our mobile app and what the software that runs on ATMs, but it's people that work at JPMorgan Chase. <laughs> and so um, early, I know early on when I, we would show up in campuses, we would need to explain like we're showing up representing technology. And while we definitely want you know, to make sure our banking partners get that talent in as well, we're hiring technologists. And so that sometimes has been some of the clarification we would need to provide. And over the years, what I've also found in working with HBCUs, it's really about the relationships and how we connect in to be able to um, attract that talent. And often when the talent goes back on campus and talk about their experiences at JP Morgan Chase, they are the best advocates for us to recruit in more. So it becomes this like wonderful cycle to feed off of, but it requires us to also continue the investing in those relationships and making sure we're showing up on campus outside of the recruiting cycle, right? And making sure that folks know who we are.
0: So speaking of those young technologists, um, if we're speaking to students who are preparing to graduate and lay the groundwork for their career, where do they get started? Do you have some specific advice for them or specific resources like conferences or trade associations that they need to get plugged into?
1: Yeah, so for me, when I was at Rutgers, uh, being a part of NSBE, National Society of Black Engineers, they are very prevalent on campuses as well as in um, alumni circles. And so that's um, just great to start when you have an organization on campus to become connected to. So the Society of Women Engineers, I'm a woman technologist, so I also get the intersectionality aspect of, of diversity. And so, um, you know, from, for women, um, conferences like Grace Hopper is vitally, they're vitally important. And so making sure that you, if you can attend, because I'm always inspired by seeing such remarkable talent um, at that collegiate level, and what they bring to the table with their thoughts and ideas and concepts that we may not even be like thinking about yet, which is really, really exciting, just by virtue of where they are in their career. I think that, um, so definitely getting involved on campus in organizations that are present there because some do carry on into the alumni circle. Conferences are important, so if your schools are sponsoring or supporting talent to go to conferences, often they're the ones that are active in those organizations that get sponsored and supported. So it kind of can be a two-way benefit. And then, you know, certainly um, there there are all kinds of resources online. Um, And what I've also learned and probably later in my career is that there are so many startup um, type of, whether it's conferences or meetups or groups, where if you have a particular topic that you're interested in, like oh, I'm interested in machine learning or artificial intelligence, it's like, hey, what organizations are, or if not available, hey, would I be interested in starting up one? And would people want to meet up and talk about these things? And so, what I'm inspired by in um, in this generation's ways of working are these ideas around how to just come together using collaborative tools like Zoom and virtual tools to Slack is another one where people, communities that get built online, where people have um, topics and themes that they're interested in and they problem solve together. One thing when I started in my career that wasn't as present as it is now is open source. It's a way of coding that allows people to build communities. That's how Skype and um, Linux and some of these products started um, through open source through community uh, communities of developers, technologists coming together to build solutions. And so um, I just can't wait to see what innovates from, from that um, thinking as we become more collaborative, more global, we see we're more virtual these days. The ideas that will come from this moment, I'm really, really excited about.
0: I, I wanna stick with the innovation, but switch gears uh, for a second to finance, because we know that far too many black Americans are unbanked or underbanked. um, And as a result, far too many black Americans end up falling prey to alternative financial services such as payday lending or check cashing services. How can technology help deliver banking services to communities in need? This is such, this is like the million dollar question, right? Like (laughs) it's one
1: of those things where it's like whoever figures this out can unlock um, you know, unimaginable possibilities, right? So, like, this is purely talker's view of the world when I think about this, and that in banking, you know, typically those relationships are established, and they're very long-lived relationships. Um, I know I still have my relationship that I started with Chemical Bank. It's like the predecessor of one of the Chase Banks. <laughs> Um, when I started school, when I started Rutgers, there was a chemical bank on campus and I opened an account and I still like over the years have grown and evolved that account. Um, and as Chase changed, I, was chemical changed and became Chase, I grew with it. And so, um, and what I find is in that when talking with different people who are banked, they tend to have long-lived relationships. And if anything, they'll add more relationships, either more banks, more products and services and things like that. And those tend to be either more financially savvy individuals or just people that trust banks. Then you have, to your point, the unbanked, the underbanked that may not trust banks as much. And I think, you know, um, now let's switch to technology for a moment because, um, so we'll put a pin in that thought. The the trust factor for technology, if we think about just our smartphones and what we have on them. They really are extensions of who we are. And I remember being at actually a conference, a Diverse by Design conference that um, I attended a few few years ago. And uh, I remember one of the speakers saying, it's like your phone is an extension of yourself, your identity, even to the point of not just what you have on it, but the type of phone. Are you an iPhone or an Android user, right? And like how people get a little bit territorial about which one they are. And it starts there and the conversations ensue, right? And over the course of time, if you think the iPhone came out in 2007, over the course of time, we have become more and more comfortable sharing more and more about ourselves on those devices. And so much so that we have got our mental models, and I'm saying this like broad brush, right? I don't have statistics. I'll just sort of say broad brush speaking. Over time, what the trends we see is that we become more and more comfortable sharing things about ourselves to the extent that we then expect our mobile phones to be or our mobile experiences experiences to be more predictive, to be more anticipatory. Like I expect you to sort of know this about me because uh, I use your app, uh, I venture to your stores or I create these experiences in my mobile um, on my mobile phone. And so why don't you know that? And then there's this element of creepiness that we have to balance, right? I don't want you to know too much about me, right? So there's a fine line. But the whole point there is that over the course of time, that smartphone over the course of the last 13 years, we start the iPhone as an example, has become more and more an extension of who we are and what we expect of our, our digital experiences. Now, if we intersect the two, now typically, Banks, their long lived relationships with customers. We uh, trust banks with our money. And for the underbanked or the underserved, you know, often they will feel a bit more confident in, t- in mobile technology. So, how could we partner those ideas into trustworthy experiences, into moments that we show up for and have our customers back, and can demonstrate that in ways that are differentiating? And I think that is like one of those things that when we think about how can we serve those communities, it's how do we build trust? How do we build relationships? And certainly having branches and now soon to be all 48 state, the lower 48 as we call it, is one way. It's like how we show up in communities is really important. And we're not just there to be the brick and mortar, but we are there when the community has needs as well. And I think, you know, amplifying that, building trust in those communities, establishing relationships, especially in the unbanked and underserved, that goes a long way. And how we can now create those digital experiences to, I don't wanna say capitalize on it, but it really, you know, it really is about how do we create those meaningful moments so that people can extend that trust in what they may give that device that they haven't yet extended into a banking experience.
0: When you talk about brick and mortar and you talk about digital experiences, it makes me think of, you know, where we all are (laughs) in in this year 2020. Um, And over the past five years, you've been doing a lot of important work within the organization, laying the groundwork to create more agile and more collaborative teams Um, that enable the remote workforce that JPMorgan Chase has really relied on during the pandemic, as we've all automatically started working from home. Exactly. (laughs) Um, How has technology changed the way that work gets done in the banking space? And, And where do you see it going now that hopefully the end of the pandemic is in sight?
1: Wow, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those risk scenarios that no one had in their risk model, right? <laughs> you know, we'd all be in a global pandemic and need to shut down in many respects. So, uh, you know, for me, um, so I actually spoke with our, some of our summer interns this year about how technology has changed the way banking works. And often you're, you'll even hear our CEO talk about like us being a tech firm that we have elements that are very similar to technology organizations, technology companies, startups, et cetera. And it starts with spaces. Like when I started my career, it was very Wall Street. It was cubicles, dark wood. We had to wear suits every day, very formal, you know, only certain colors. Uh, I mean, I just, it's, it actually reminds me when I look back on like even our class picture, everyone's either in black or brown or blue outfits because it really was, uh, you know, we were part of a Wall Street firm. And, you know, I, I was hired into JP Morgan. It's like we're doing first class business in a first class way. And that was really, you know, that's still something we hold on to in our firm. Um, but certainly thinking of someone walking in with jeans on, like <laughs> it just wasn't even in the realm of possibilities. And so I know that, I mean, I think even there was a like major news article when we went business casual on Fridays, you know, at JP Morgan Chase. And I think that's, I mean, that's clearly an influence of how technology has um, crept into uh, corporations such as banking. And so now if we fast forward to where we are, certainly where I work in an environment that you walk onto the floor and it looks like a tech company um, it, you know, it's very, uh, open space, of course, that will likely change now that we are in the environment we're in, but, um, but previously it's about how do we create open spaces for people to gather in small groups, small teams, um, a lot of collaborative tools, telepresence, things like that, that allow us to break down locations and time zones and feel like one team, one space. And so a lot of that definitely influenced, by the way, tech companies, whether in Silicon Valley or wherever we're working. And that started to then allow us to open our minds to those spaces, one, as as a recruiting tool, right? If you think about the fact that, you know, when we show up on campuses, other tech companies are showing up on campuses too, right? And they're at those same conferences we're showing up at. And as well. And so um, we want to make sure that we can compete and that we create environments that would cultivate great innovation and great ways of working that unleash those ideas. Um, And so I would say that definitely has laid the foundation. And then when we think about the pandemic this year, that those mental model shifts helped us to think about delivering products out to market faster as well. And so Um, creating more opportunities for our products to be delivered to customers sooner, faster, we call it speed at scale and making sure because everyone thinks, oh, you're such a large company, how can you deliver value so frequently, like say another, a FinTech or a smaller company? And it's like, well, we can, and this is how we do it. And so um, when we needed to switch to Zoom, we did. And we have, um, you know, technology parts of the organization that focus squarely on innovation and they are looking at the next thing, the next, next thing, and to help us get ready so that we
0: are um, prepared for moments like this. This has been such a great conversation um, and I want to end it with some guidance for Black professionals who might be in the middle of their careers but looking to uh, move into some senior level roles. And so what is your best advice for people out there who want to climb the corporate ladder?
1: Ooh, Ooh, best advice. There's so so many things that I've learned over the course of time. I would say, I said it a little bit earlier about investing in the network. Um, I think that's important to have people that are truth tellers for you that can tell you how you show up in moments, um, things that you can't see and that others may not be willing to tell you. And I think that is um, important to career progression. There are things that often we may find ourselves, especially in diverse communities, where it's like, well, why, may, why am I not progressing? or well, why didn't I receive that opportunity that so-and-so received? And um, instead of sort of asking that inwardly or, you know, that's where the network becomes really important. It's like, who do I trust to give me the truth about those decisions? Um, often we talk about who's advocating, I mentioned earlier, the mentor, the um, advisor, the sponsor, who's that person um, advocating for you in the room when you're not there. And that's important to know. And if you don't know names in that capacity for yourself in the role that you're in, then get them, establish those relationships. It's important. I think people feel sometimes that, if especially as technologists, um, Definitely not stereotyping and anything of that in that regard, but frequently we can be introverted or have introverted tendencies. You know, we're comfortable behind screens or not necessarily out front. And so how do we overcome the things that may be perceivably um, not received as someone who's going to be a leader? And so I think that's just important understanding about yourself. So self-awareness being really important. And, but I would say having those people that can, and it doesn't have to be a large group, just needs to be a small group of people you trust, that you invest in. There are moments when people have said to me, you need to get out of your own way. I need people like that to give me that advice. They don't necessarily tell you what to do, but they give you a perspective that helps you to make better decisions, to help you see things you can't see. And if you don't have that in your circle, get it.
0: Thank you so much, Taka, for sharing all of this wisdom and experience that you've gained over more than two decades with J.P. Morgan Chase, and especially for your insights about what the next, next thing is going to be <laughs> in, in banking and technology. Um, and thank you all for joining us today for this episode of Chasing Success. Thank you.